Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Um, there we go. Okay, let's do this. So, um, so we um, helped launch C3 uh, Victoria, and so there's now 13 churches in Canada, and uh, I, 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 that's, it is really great. The word of God's getting out, and that we're, and we um, have a goal 25 by 2020 in Canada. So we've got kind of our work cut out for us. And um, two, three weekends ago, that number of 501 churches uh, globally is not quite right. It's uh, 531. We planted 24 in Iraq on one weekend with an average attendance of over 100 people. I know. It's really, really a miracle what God's doing in the Middle East, and so that's really encouraging. Uh, I'm going to just adapt my message a little bit. And uh, so I want you just to listen close for a moment. We are going to look at John 15 again. Sometimes something happens. I want to talk about God's love, just like we sang about this morning. And... um, and sometimes something happens within, inside of me that uh, stirs up a, a thing that I'm not sure if it's just the Lord speaking to me, if he's speaking to our city, or if he's speaking to our nation. I don't know. And so I want to make a statement this morning um, of, of something that I don't know if I need to say it or you need to hear it or else I just need to declare it, but it feels a little bit... Uh, ominous to me that um, we as a church need to continue to dial up our light, not, not be concerned with, uh, not be afraid of darkness, but be people of beautiful, pure light. And last week, um, so my wife's birthday is on the 15th and Valentine's Day is on the 14th. My, uh, there was a moment when my male bra- brain said, well, you can just put those two together. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? You could have told me. <laughs> but, but something happened, this, and it's happened for the last few Valentine's Day, culturally, that's uh, disturbed me. And so I want to read a statement, and uh, I just call this pulling, pulling back the shades um, the 50 shades of degradation of women and the defacing of marital love. Our culture has gone mad. Happened for a couple of years now. I spoke up once, I'm gonna speak up again. So I state that I'm not an activist nor am I an analyst. I'm a husband, a father, a man, as well as a spiritual architect for a city and a nation. I am both saddened and sick inside with a duplicitous industry that will on one hand Uh, make up some form of united front against sexual abuse, and then on the other hand, applaud and celebrate it through their industry and wrongly call it art. We get upset politically when someone tries to harm the environment. That even helps to create jobs for thousands of people. Or to set out to protect a species of crayfish. When we remain silent about the dehumanizing of women and the destroying of the meaning of love the defacing of marriage and the objectification and even the celebration of sexual abuse. In the recent box office storm that grossed around $40 million, wrongly titled Fifty Shades of Freed, 
it has nothing to do with freedom. To dump this type of toxic visual content and only rate it R so teens can watch uh, and see this level of depravity, the movie industry that's willing to stoop so low just for the sake of sales. In other industries, if there was a toxic dump, there would be courts ruling to clean it up. But this is left to people with a few morals that are left in their brains to make a decision on. And I say but we, will not, we cannot be silent. Charisma Magazine said that in the movie, Anna is asked to sign a document that tells of plans and his demands of abuse, including canes and whips and paddles and other devices of choosing of discipline should he decide, that she agrees and signs to. This sends a message to young watchers that being a sex slave is okay and to be in an abusive relationship is quite fine. That people would line up to watch sexual abuse and buy tickets in advance and even go as far as to launch yet another Fifty Shades on the day where love is to be celebrated, I am frankly sickened by the notion that women would line up at Cineplex to watch a man abuse a woman in his bedroom that the Bible says is to be kept sacred. Instead, he names it the Red Room of Pain. I even object to them using the name Christian. Really. Psychologists will tell you that the horrific, unbiblical brainwashing that says that it's better to be an abused victim than nothing and that pain equals love is absolutely ludicrous and demonic and a clear sign that our culture has lost its way. So movie industry, I say to you that you have lost your right to judge the church of Jesus Christ as hypocritical when the same Hollywood executives that cover up for Harvey Weinstein now encourage and promote the third installment of abuse, objectification, ungodly submission, unhealthy, demonic control over the royal gender of women. And that you would allow this rubbish to be seen by our daughters and our teenage sons is an abomination to the Lord. It's an abuse of your influence and it's a poison to our world. You should be ashamed of yourself. And so you know that we will not buy it, view it, or condone this perversion in any way in Jesus' name. And we will stand against the abuse and demonic domineering of our daughters and our wives that we will respect and we will love them like Christ loved his church. And we will not be silenced as lambs led to a slaughter. We will roar like the Lion of Judah in whom we serve. That's my statement. It's quite a thing. We can't be silent. It hurts, and, and we just simply need to speak out. So there you have it. So I got a short sermon now, and I want to get to it. Um, John chapter 15, verses 1 to about 11. <clears throat> it, it begins by talking about, I am the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. Uh, I kind of like this. Uh, what we like very much is we like outcomes, but God actually likes processes. And in order to be fruitful, we need to be part of a process. We need to, this metaphor is pretty clear. If you want to produce fruit, you've got to be planted. You have to be patient. Anybody who's ever done any gardening knows you need to be patient, cooperate with the season. 
and that you need to be submitted to the process. And there's a process of producing fruit. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, how that, that fruit in a believer's life is a result of being patient, planted, and surrendered to a process. Um, there's two little words. I would have, I would have, I've titled this of and as. Two, two letter words. The first one is found in John chapter 15 where he says, um, in the King James, New King James, it says, as the Father has loved you, or has loved me, so I love you. As the Father's loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. As. Just two little words. We're, there's a, there's a, a form of love that we're to have if we're going to work, if our relationships are going to work. There's a form of love. <clears throat> And it's as we have been loved. Um, let me go to um, another passage that I, I love so much. And it's called uh, Matthew chapter 16. And last week we talked about spiritual blindness. <clears throat> this this spe specific passage uh, is one of my favorites. And, and when I think that Jesus is asking Peter, he's saying, how do you see <clears throat> things? He's asking, what's your view of things? He asked, his first question was, who do people say that I am? He's wanting to know, how does the world perceive me? He, and actually, they, you know, he said, well, some say uh, you're John, some say you're Elijah. And, and you think to yourself, really? You would, is it easier to think of a dead person coming back to life than simply accepting who I am? Is that easier for them? And then he asked them a very personal question, well, who do you say that I am? This is, this is really important to us. If we're going to love others as we have been loved, we need to be able to see as Christ sees. And so he asked this question, he says, he said, so who do you say that I am? And he said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, you have a, a perspective that allows me to be able to build my church. That's how I see it. Yeah, it's a rock of revelation that he's the Christ. The Son of, yeah, I know, but, but it also, he also says, I'm able to build my church based on your perspective of who I am. And here's why that's important, because down in verse 23, um, he, uh, Peter, Peter was giving Jesus a little pep talk, and he took him aside and said, Lord, you're doing it all wrong. He says, get away from me, Satan. You're a, danger, you're a dangerous trap to me. Wow. Why? Because you're seeing things merely from a human point of view. We will not be able to love as Christ loved if we look at others from merely from an earthly point of view. That's really the point, I make, point I'm making. But then he says this, after he says, okay, you're viewing things differently. You've got a fresh perspective of who I am. That fresh perspective will allow you to love like you've been loved and like I love you. It's reckless love. And he says, so because of that, I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you keys of. Small world. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you keys that are kingdom keys that will allow you access into a whole nother dimension and a whole nother realm. 
And once you're able to have access to this other realm, you're going to be able to do even greater things than I have done. This is remarkable to me. And so what he does is he says, and and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven, whatever you open on earth will be open in heaven. He said there's going to be, many of us think of this in terms of binding and loosing, it says in the New King James, it's a binding and loosing. Uh, I think this refers to many different levels. (laughs) Yes, it refers to devils. But I think it refers to another dimension in terms of our kingdom relationships. And here's what it is. Is when we have a higher perspective, we, we can bind people, not just devils. We can bind people or loose people from earthly situations and earthly circumstances. What are you saying, Pastor Lorne? I'm saying that when we have the eyes of Jesus to see people, he says, when you have this perspective, this is how he builds the church. I can build my church on this. What was he referring to? This perspective of who he is. When you can see a new way, you'll be able to love a new way. Did did you know that we can keep people bound to circumstances? Have you ever found that, that you are in a situation with someone and you can constantly remind them of that failure that they had? You can bind them to a a circumstance. Yeah, but don't you remember when you did this and you did this? You can bind them or you can loose them. There's people like Bono said, you get stuck in a moment. Yeah, you get bound to a moment. He says, but I'm giving you keys to be able to loose people from moments. This is like mind-blowing. Um, there's been a few passages that have really, um, they really have bothered me because I don't quite understand them. Um, and one of them is in John chapter 20. I don't know if this has ever bothered you or not, but, but, but here's, I think it makes sense when I read it like this. Verse 20, verse 23. I don't want to read it out of context, but I, just for the sake of time, I'm going to read just this passage. It says, if you forgive someone's sin, sins, they are forgiven. Isn't that, that troubles me. I'm not the one that forgives sins, am I? Or am I? I guess with other people, maybe I am. I'm not, I'm not, I can't actually forgive their sins, can I say spiritually, because Jesus, that's his work. That's been done. But I can lose people from a previous failure or a fault. And then, and then he says this, and, and he says, if you refuse to re- forgive them, they are unforgiven. What is he referring to? He's not referring to spiritually because I can't touch that relationship. But he is referring to something. I suggest that it's emotional. That we can keep people unforgiven or we can forgive. What a, this is about relational essentials. Um, as and of. Um, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, I don't know if you recall this or not, when did we clothe you or feed you or visit you? Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. The the least of these, it would least be for one reason, that serving those who can give nothing in return has a pretty strong chance of being pretty close to an act of pure, true, sacrificial love. Which, in fact, would be the only way to become great. Jesus connects greatness with servanthood. 
He said, when you serve, you can actually be great by serving. Serving, caring, and loving are serious matters because it sounds like Jesus takes them quite seriously. He, sa he says, if you want to love me, here's how. Visit me when I'm in prison. Clothe me. Feed who? Other, just other people. And they'll have an experience of me. Is, is, is those that you're in relationship right now having an experience with Jesus? <laughs> that's, a, that's the question. We often hear, well, it's not about you, it's about others. Well, that's kind of right. It's not completely right. Because it's not going far enough. Because it's not just about others. It's about Jesus. <laughs> that's what it's about. Uh, we are about others because we are about Jesus. When we do things for others, we're doing them for him. And I suggest it's not possible to be a follower of Jesus and not love others. That's what I suggest. So here you see that when we start to live the message of the gospel, that those around us will have a new experience. They'll have an experience with Jesus. This, to me, is a profound thought. Because further down in chapter 15, he said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. That's, that's profound. That sing, single demonstration hinges on my move now. And you can say that love looks like serving. If I'm abiding in him and, I, and his words abiding in me, um, there will be an experience. It's an unnerving command. Love each other the way that I loved you. And then he gives the metric for that. Loving Jesus is embracing this lifestyle of serving. And what happens when we end up in that relationship, two things happen. One, we start to look for opportunities to love and serve rather than try and avoid them. And our attitudes become purified to those around us. We're no longer specifically serving that other person. We're serving Jesus as we're serving that other person. Yeah, but Pastor Lauren, you don't realize what they're doing. No, no, no. I'm, but as, as we are loved, that's how we love. So how we think, see things is not how it is. But it will determine how you experience that other person or this other situation. When, when we judge, we think that we know why somebody did something. Here's what happens. This is the big thing. Because at which point we become victims. Because a vi victim is always asking one question. Why did that happen to me? He's asking the same question. Motive. Self-centeredness puts us at the center. Um, it actually... Um, Self-centeredness, there's actually a neurological response that creates a mental process where physically you can only see what you've predetermined to see. Effectively, you become blind to other perspectives. The result is the information you receive in a little thing at the back of your brain here. The, the result is this, is that the information you receive confirms your perception while ignoring data to confirm a, a conflicting point of view. So neurologically, it's impossible for you to see. Jesus said this. He said, you claim to see. That's why you're blind. Your ability to not give up your current perspective is keeping you from seeing another perspective. This is a big deal in relationships. It's a really big deal. Why? Because our minds will seek equilibrium, and they work to validate our opinions, and our judgments then blind us to other perspectives. Um, humility, I think, but, but the best definition of humility would be teachableness. If, if ever, so God wants to speak to you every day. And he wants to speak to you 
in all sorts of ways. But one of the primary ways he speaks to you is from his word. If you come to that word with a certain perspective, you will not be able to see, if you don't come open, you will not be able to see the things that he is trying to say to you because you think you already know what you see. So, so humility then is about surrendering our opinion, our perspectives, and our points of view. Tim McGraw had it right. Always be humble and kind. It's that simple. Always be teachable and nice. Pretty good. Pretty hard. Because surrendering your opinion is the same thing. It feels like death because then you admit that you're wrong or something. But what if your ego is keeping you from a fresh perspective of God? That would be dangerous. So repentance, by definition, is about changing our mind. Repentance, it might mean admitting that you're wrong. It's hard because we become emotionally invested in a certain perspective. And it's hard to let go. I know. Um, my second last point, rightness. Um, how many here like peanut butter? Oh, I sure peanut butter bunch. Good. Um, how, many, how many butter your toast and then put peanut butter on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, double dippers. Awesome. Um, okay, how many don't? Okay, who's right? <laughs> Not willing to surrender your opinion, I see. Well, here's the point. Like, who cares? Who cares? Being right doesn't matter. Being right will keep you spiritually dead. Eating from that tree of what's right and what's wrong leads to death. Un being unwilling to surrender your opinion, this is, a, this, is, this is what's causing the civil war in the church today. No, no, it's this way. Who cares? I mean, there's a certain thing we need to hold on to, certain tenets of the faith. I get that. But most of the time, we're not fighting for that. We're fighting for opinion, <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> and our personal points of view. Uh, our rightness, biblically, is dirty rags, and it leads to death. Um, I have no idea why people do what people do. I have no idea. But Jesus asked this question, whoever has ears, let him hear. He wasn't referring to physical ears. He was referring to spiritual ears. He said, whoever is teachable, then let him be taught. Basically is what he's saying. I, find, I, I think I am incredibly teachable until I come up with a conflicting point of view. I'm no longer that teachable because I want to hold on to my point of view. It's really important to me. Giving it up would be like terrible. Well, your relationships are probably fairly thin and fairly limited. Uh, I love... Uh, I love this, but I don't really like it that much in, when it describes uh, love as not being proud. Love is not proud. Holy. What does that mean? That means that love is able to say that it's wrong. It doesn't have to hold on and fight for its opinion. It's able to surrender its opinion. This is, pride is completely unteachable. It's driven by the need to be right. Most of proud people's relational conflicts are around their need to either be right or to appear right. That's pride. My Bible says that God resists the proud. That means a whole bunch of things. Dang, I don't want to be on that side of that little skirmish. 
placing Christ at the center. All right. Um, that's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 that those that have, they're going to get more of it. Wait, unless you change, you're going to keep getting the same result. What do you say? All right. Let me wrap up. Um, Jesus and me. This troubling passage, if you forgive others anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. Um, this, this, this for me is, is interesting and it's a little bit troubling, but I think that that's what it means for me. Um, because I cannot spiritually forgive, but I can emotionally. How can we make people feel if we constantly remind them? How do we make people feel if we constantly remind them of their faults? How, how do we make people feel if we constantly remind them of their failures? How will you make people feel? I'm talking about emotions. How will you make people feel if you constantly remind them of their failures? Our interactions should make others feel like they've just been with Jesus. How, how, do, how do you feel when you've interacted with Jesus? Here's how I feel. I feel free, not bound. I feel accepted, not loved. The question would be, if you ask those closest to you, how do you feel? How do I make you feel when we've been together for a while? Do you feel condemned? Do you feel dominated? Do you feel that your voice didn't matter? Do you feel shut down? Can I suggest to you that you've not had an encounter with Jesus? You've had an encounter with someone's broken soul. And that, Jesus said, that type of mindset is dangerous to me because you're viewing things from a very from an earthly perspective. Um, do you feel when you've been with, when people have been around you, do they feel criticized? Do they feel dominated? Do they feel bound or do they feel liberated and love? When control and fear and rejection are in our hearts, we project that and perceive others that way. To assume others' motives is to transgress kingdom relational protocols. I know this works. I know that I can bind others to their failures. I can keep them in their failures. I can keep them in their faults. I can remind them of the speck that's in their eye. By the way, I was reminded this week that Jesus doesn't have any specks in his eyes, nor does he have planks. He's the only one that sees accurately. He's the only one that actually has perspective straight. <laughs> He's the only one. And until I can see others as I am in Christ... I am only going to be seeing through a dark, dark glass. This is, this is so important. Um, so then how does Jesus relate to me? Here's how he relates to me. Like I am without fault. That is incredibly liberating. He, Jesus sees you as perfect. How, how does he lead me? Like I love to follow. This is remarkable. How does he speak to me like I am already complete and whole in him? Do we see others that way? Or do we remind them of their past? Because, because reminding them of their past will keep them in their past. If we care about people, we'll pull them forward into their future, into their destiny. Am I as quick to encourage as I am to criticize? Would be my question. Am I quick to build up or am I quick to tear down? The truth is this, in closing, how we treat people is the way that they think God treats them. Uh, this, this, this Philippians chapter 2, 
is very troubling. Be humble. Think of others better than yourself. Just what if we could just do that? Gosh, I wish I could do that better. And then he says, make me happy, truly happy, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and one purpose. Oh, if the church could catch that revelation. Here's, here's my final troubling passage of Scripture. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 11. I don't know if you've ever read through this or not and felt the same way. Because, because he says here, it starts off by saying, no one has ever seen God. Well, come on. Moses did. Like, how is he, what's he talking about? I mean, anyway. Uh, no one has seen God. And then it says this. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love has been brought to full expression through us. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Is the way that we treat people is the way that they will view God. If they're continually condemned, if they're continually judged, if they're continually criticized, if they're continually pointed out their faults, they'll think, oh, eventually, oh. think of your own life. How have you been treated relationally? Pretty soon you start to believe it. Why? Because people bind you rather than loose you. But whatever you do here, he says, if I could get you to start thinking up here and start seeing from my perspective, you will treat people differently. This is how, this is how his love works. The, when he says love never fails, he means love will, my love, the agape love of God, will never cease to be effective. What is it? So he says, no one has ever seen God. But when my people begin to live like I want them to live, they'll begin to experience me like I want them to experience me. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're the expressions of Jesus on the earth. You won't be able to do that out of your soul. You're going to need to do that by, having, by looking at people, those closest to you, your spouse and your kids to begin with. How does your, how does your home feel? Secondly, your friends or your colleagues at work, how do they feel when they've been around you? They should feel like they've been with Jesus. How are you going to do that? You're going you're to be able to do that by getting heaven's perspective. And he thinks every person is valuable, needs to be protected, needs to be cared for, needs to be loved, needs to be covered, and needs to be respected just for who they are. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, it's been an interesting morning, hasn't it? So, Holy Spirit, you've done a bunch of stirring in me and a bunch of stirring here this morning, and I thank you that you'll continue stirring because you're that one that teaches and leads us into great truth and ultimately into experiences that liberate us and free us. Father, I just pray over this body that's here this morning, that they would feel your love through those they encounter here at church this morning. And that let this place be a place where Jesus' heart can be expressed freely and openly. Lord, let people feel encouraged, not criticized. Let them feel accepted, not condemned. Let them feel welcome and not isolated. Let them feel included, oh Lord. Let them feel your love. Let them experience you. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that we can submit and surrender our opinions and we can get a fresh revelation 
of others. Thank you for loving our spouses through us, our kids through us, our friends and our family through us. I said today, Lord, we choose to see from a fresh perspective as you restore our sight. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Um, if anybody would like prayer, we got an awesome prayer team that's ready to pray for you. If, um, if anybody doesn't know Christ as Savior, we'd like to pray for you. If anybody would like to rededicate their life to Jesus, we'd like to pray for you. And we'll just leave the altar in the front open. If you come with any pain, I specifically feel the anointing is for relational pain. Um, you'd be welcome to come forward as we wrap up the service. Through, through those doors walk people that have had a fresh encounter with the love of Jesus and have fresh eyes to be able to see as Jesus sees. Now, go and love the world. God bless you. You're released. Have an awesome day. Bye-bye.